Welcome to You Hear It First, an unofficial, unfiltered history of MTV News. I'm Benjamin Wagner. For much of its 36 years, MTV News was where young people everywhere heard their music, movie, political, and pop culture news first. And from 1996 to 2014, I had a front row seat. Whether covering the latest music video, blockbuster, or presidential campaign, MTV News was a laboratory for experimentation and a place where rules were made to be judiciously broken. These are the stories behind the stories from the people who told the stories. This is season one of You Hear It First. For a particular brand of New Jersey teenager who loved the Backstreet Boys enough to haul into Manhattan just to catch a glimpse of the quartet waving from MTV's Times Square Studios, there may be no greater Cinderella story than Christina Garibaldi's. For nearly a decade in the mid-aughts and early teens, Christina lived the dream. She started as an intern while still an undergraduate at Marist College, was hired as an assistant after graduation, and quickly rose to the rank of segment producer before being tapped to be an on-air correspondent. Before decamping to Us Weekly in 2015, Christina interviewed all of her childhood faves from Britney Spears and Taylor Swift to Katy Perry and Selena Gomez, plus up-and-comers like Ed Sheeran, One Direction, and Austin Mahone. She co-hosted numerous video music and movie award pre-shows, co-created live from MTV, and much, much more. And these days, AJ, Nick, Howie, Brian, and Kevin all know her by name. This week, Christina remembers Taylor's first interview, dabbing Ariana Grande's tears, warming up a prickly Avril Lavigne, dealing with a very late and very ahem, non-present Justin Bieber, and the timeless advice she received from MTV News legend Sway Calloway, just seconds before going live at her first VMA. I was a boy bander. I was team backstreet. So I would come home <laughs> every single day from school. I would pop in my tape on my VHS, hit record and see who was the number one video wow. on TRL. My sister and I had backstreet posters all over our walls. And that was my dream to be in Times Square with Carson and counting down the videos. I mean, I Grew up, I went to all like, you know, the Millennium Tour, the Black and Blue Tour, you know, the Celebrity Tour for Sync, And so I was definitely like swept up in that phase. So I was definitely all pop culture all the time. Britney, that was me. So to be in Times Square and to feel that energy from all those yeah. people, like I felt that and that's where I wanted to be. And I was like, that is the mecca of music. <laughs> that is the mecca of boy bands. Like when they had to like black out the shades in TRL because there were just so many people there. Yeah. I was like, I want to go there. My mom was like, absolutely not. So <laughs> I couldn't get there, but that's where I wanted to be. So you grew up in Jersey. So you would have gone, where Where would you see these guys? Meadowlands or at the MSG? So we would go to the IZOD Center and see, that's where all the concerts were. I'd go to Jingle Ball every year at Madison Square Garden. I was like a pure pop baby. The city looks like, to me, Oz. Yes. When you're like in the Meadowlands looking east, it's like, uh, there's something kind of magical about it. I still live in New Jersey and I still like when you like come over like I, I, Route 3 and you see the New York yeah. skyline and you still feel that energy every single time. You're like, that's the place I want to be. My senior year of college, I got an internship 
And I literally logged tapes every single day for hours upon hours. But it was also like such a great like homework or like a learning experience doing that. Yeah. Now, even though you're hitting play, typing, rewinding, typing again. But like I got to watch John Norris, Sway, Suchin, Gideon, like everybody was doing their interviews. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow, they ask questions like that. They approach an interview like this. And so I was learning as I was logging these tapes and everybody was like, oh, this is so monotonous and boring. And I was like, no, this is fascinating. Like yeah. we get to see these people like the best of the best do this and we're, we're right in it. And the logging the tapes for the uninitiated is basically transcription. It was transcribing these 30, sometimes hour long <laughs> interviews, sometimes shows too. So, because now you can just put it in a system and it'll automatically do it for you, which I really wish they had back then. But yeah, yeah this was part of the job and it was part of the learning experience. And that's where I fell in love with MTV. What was the journey to flipping it into a day job to, a, I'm guessing, a, a PA role or? No, I was actually the first executive assistant for Ryan Croft. Okay. All um, right. He was a supervising producer at the time. Sean Lee was also a supervising producer at the time. And Rob Mancini, who was the managing director at the time, I think it was uh, his title or editorial yeah. director. Yeah. So I was their first assistant and they couldn't have been nicer. And they were just like, they didn't know they had never had an assistant before. So like, <laughs> do this, do that. <laughs> Come on a shoot with me. I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah. And like, they were so nice because they encouraged me to pitch ideas. They right. encouraged me to sit in on edits, to sit in on shoots and saw it more as um, a stepping stone for maybe the right. next part. And then it eventually turned into a PA producer role because I had so many different roles before I transitioned to doing some on-camera stuff. It helped me tremendously in being the type of host that I was, a type of interviewer that I was, because I was obviously learning from the best, but it just gave me so many different hats to wear that I, right. it just really helped me kind of hone my skills, I thought. You're ultimately a reporter and a producer, first and foremost, right? Mm -hmm. You 100% are. Like you are writing your scripts, you're writing your questions. Like obviously you're working with a producer. I worked with Corey Midgarden, who, oh my God, ah, one of my Rockstar. favorite people of all time. Like we were kind of partners and we called ourselves the C team. So we were partners in crime and like we yeah. would work together to come up with like, you know, fun ideas, fun concepts for shoots and things like that. So we always were working hand in hand, but yeah, a lot of the responsibility does come on the host too. I was writing, you know, scripts, writing the questions and really making it my own, which was important to me too. Like, I just don't want somebody handing me something. I want to feel like I did the work. So that was always very important to me. What is one of the first stories you remember championing and sort of getting across the line and feeling really great about as a producer? So I was also the news producer for TRL. <sighs> And you, so you were there, I right there, there in the studio. I was there in the studio. So I would run down our tapes and things like that. But I don't know why we were doing like a celebrating like high school students or something like that. And there were these high school students in like Jacksonville, Florida. So we flew down there. We did a story with them and it ended up on TRL and people really liked it. And it was my first time of like real accomplishment that I saw a story all the way through. And I was like, wow, I like I pitched something. I shot yeah. something. I sat in the edit. And I saw it through. So I thought that was really fun. What was the experience of being in the studio for a young woman who grew up sort of outside of it and wishing to be there? 
it was kind of surreal. Like I was like looking down at myself being like, are you supposed to be here? Like, what is your life right now? <laughs> like just walking in the halls and you're passing by like Diddy. And I didn't pass by the Backstreet Boys in TRL. They did come out into the MTV News studio at one point, but like I got photos with like Mariah Carey and Derek Jeter, who was a big deal. But like, yeah, you're passing by these people. And I remember being there for the TRL, like big finale when everybody came in. I think yeah, like 50 yeah. Cent was there. I think there was some drama between like 50 Cent and Diddy at that time, too. But yeah, it was just a really surreal experience. And as somebody that grew up idolizing these boy bands, like I never would have thought that I would have been in that situation yeah, ever. Yeah. And here I am being like, OK, doing prompter for Suchin or teeing up her news package. And it's great. <laughs> Times Square was a different world in the mid aughts in the late 90s than it is, I think, today, mm -hmm. particularly in relation to Viacom, which has no presence in that space in any meaningful way. What is like the most absurd memory? You know, you mentioned the blackout shades and stuff like what do you remember of that? I just remember like it was chaos. I mean, yeah. the girls were like throwing themselves, <laughs> like trying to just get into the building, like tears just streaming down their face. It was like God came down, but it's like, no, it's just AJ from the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> like now that you look at it, but this was everything to these people. And I totally yeah. got that. And I think that's what was important for me when I was doing interviews too, is like, the people that are watching this are these hardcore fans. They know everything there is to know about these people. So you want to approach it in a way where, can I get something out of this person where the diehard fans, they don't know. Something right. that's surprising. You know, you want to get those interesting stories. And that's always what I maybe tried to do because these people, they're just consuming information about them all the time. So how can you make it a little bit different for them? I'm not sure anyone is more studied at the canned response than your general athlete, right? Yes. Except maybe or seconded only by pop stars who just feel like they're rote. And the objective really was to sort of get into the cracks. And I feel like when artists did come to MTV, like they still felt it too at that point. They were like, all right, I'm at MTV. I made it. Like, I'm going to give yeah. you the best interview that I possibly can give. Maybe not always giving those canned responses because this was a big deal. I remember, I think I was the first person that interviewed Ed Sheeran in our building. And like, you could just tell like he was just so excited. Like, wow, this is it. I used to host a, it was called Live from MTV. Every month we do like a 30 minute yeah, live stream show yeah. in our new studio. We bring in the fans. Like we tried to like have that TRL vibe to it where we would take fan questions. Our colleague Tamar was in the audience, like Tamar, asking, yes, 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 asking yes, questions. Yes. And we tried to like kind of bring back that vibe. But I remember Ed Sheeran being there doing a live performance and like just like the elation on these fans faces to get to like ask their idol a question and like me being there being able to facilitate that that was just such a cool feeling i remember by the way it won't surprise you basically saying to ryan like the studio was really expensive yeah. right like it was mm -hmm. five grand to turn the lights on and so i was like we have this like you know the newsroom was yeah. pretty good looking and anyway we all knew how to dress a shoot right mm -hmm. and so i'm not sure that our colleagues were a big fan i mean i don't know you worked yeah. in the center of the newsroom but it was always like well, why don't we just bring it here you right. know and we did that for the longest i mean that was cool right i mean maybe annoying if you're trying to edit it. something yeah. it was great and it's just so fun we were used to having people like just walk in all the time yeah. i know before i got there i never really got to see it but i remember hearing people's stories that Kanye used to just come by and like hang out with Sway all the time and hang out yeah. with Shaheem and Rahman and like 
you know, that was the environment that they wanted to create a comfortable environment for people to be in. And like, it never got old seeing like Taylor Swift walk through the newsroom, Katy Perry, like that was always exciting to me. I feel like the difference is though, that we went from like putting people in like a conference room to bringing them right into the center of where most of the team work. Oh yeah. No, where everybody is like, you know, trying to like write their scripts, write their pitches, write their articles. And then there's Ed Sheeran playing, um, you know, a song. And I'm sure maybe not everybody enjoyed it, but I did. (laughs) I think we used Kurt's office for like the live stream equipment, right? Yes, we did. We did use Kurt's office for the live stream equipment. You're so right. <laughs> I haven't thought of that in ages, but that's the, like, I was asking Michael Alex about this idea of like innovation or disruption. Like, I don't remember Dave ever pausing for long. I don't even remember him ever really saying no. Well, that was Dave. I mean, Dave always wanted to try new, new things and push the envelope. And if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. At least we tried it. And he was always such a champion of everybody and always wanted everybody to succeed and do their best, which was another thing that I really loved about the MTV News family is that nobody wanted to see anybody fail. Like everybody was your biggest champion and everybody wanted the best for everybody. And I felt that too, as somebody coming on camera with little to no experience, I'm sure maybe some people were like, what is this girl doing? But like, there were so many people that were in my corner, especially Dave, especially Ryan, especially you. And everybody just wanted to help and like see you succeed because I guess if I succeed, everybody succeeds too and, you know, vice versa. So it was just a really great family to be around. And now so many years removed from it, you have a deeper appreciation for those people. And like, there's so many people that I probably, like I wish that I still kept in closer contact with, you know, cause you know, life evolves and you know, yeah. you move in different directions, but it really was such a close knit family. And we're all like in our, you know, 20s, 30s, you know, like we're growing up together. Like this is like my first job right out of college. Like it's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. You mentioned Dave being so supportive. Maybe one of the scariest things I remember, and I wonder if you were actually holding the mic flag, is we did a live stream in the newsroom with Brittany's manager, Larry Rudolph. And for whatever reason, it went sideways technically. And I remember hearing over the open hand mic, all right, cut it, cut it. Let's end this right now. And being like, oh shit. Like, but that's it. I mean, which is pretty good for a group of people who like, it's one thing I think to take risks when you're shooting tape or drives, right. And you're in the field. It's a different thing when you're live and you're like, I don't know if it goes sideways because we're just using a laptop to broadcast to a couple hundred thousand kids. It's so true. I don't know if you remember, Josh would know better than I did, but Josh, I think he was sitting down with Nicholas Holt or something like that. And they were doing a whole like hour long live stream. And I think once it was done, whoever was manning it was like, I didn't hit record. (laughs) Everyone was like, no, we can't. And, but whoever he was speaking with, I think it was Nicholas was so kind. They redid the whole thing, but like these things happen. And you know what? It's so funny. I remember like my first VMAs actually on the red carpet. And I used to, before I was on the VMAs, I used to be Sway's floor producer. And I mean, talk about a masterclass in hosting because like you learn everything from Sway and he couldn't have been more supportive of me as well. And I remember he like took me to the side. He's like, you're going to do great. I'm here for you. Like ask me anything that you need. And he's always like, remember, 
before the camera goes on and I say it to myself every time, it goes, fuck it, we're doing it live. There's nothing that you can do about it. So like, just have that mindset and just being like, whatever happens, happens. You'll flow with it. You'll go with it. And that's even to this day when I do things that are live, I'm like, F it, here we go. (laughs) Talk us through that pivot to camera. So this was after Suchin had left and Kim Stoltz had left as well. So there wasn't a female presence. We were doing a big fashion week marketing campaign, marketing ad sales campaign. The client was like, oh, maybe we'll have like a model come in and do a guest host. And it didn't work out. So we were like down to the wire. Like I think fashion week was like in two days and we (laughs) needed somebody to be on camera. And I remember Ryan just coming by my desk and be like, Gobo, you want to give it a try? And I was like, sure. Like, what am I going to say? No. So that was like my first on-camera experience. It was backstage at Betsy Johnson. I did a Betsy Johnson shoe. The marketing team seemed to enjoy it and seemed to approve. And then like, nobody told me to stop. So I was like, I'm just going to keep going. And then it kind of just like snowballed from there. I think like in the beginning, I did do a lot of ad sales and things like that, just to like get like a little bit more comfortable. And then I would do like, the on-camera shoots and things like that. But yeah, no, it was a challenge. I had just done my college television station on camera. That was pretty much my only experience. And then you're coming in and you are next to Sway and you're like, "Um, can I, can I do this? Every time I did a shoot, I was like, oh no, they're going to tell me to stop. They're going to tell me that like, that was it. I'm done. And Uh um, I just remember, you know, just kept going and and I kept trying to like master my skills and hone my skills and be as prepared as I could possibly be so I wouldn't screw it up because this is like honestly a once in a lifetime opportunity like this doesn't happen to everybody and I was totally aware of that at the time and I still am like people kill for that job and I did not want to disappoint anybody because you are holding the name of MTV like that mic flag means something and it meant something to me and it still does but I would just get myself so worked up and so nervous, especially for like the VMAs and things like that. And like, yes, I messed up. And yes, I wish I can go back and do things over again. But wow, like what a, you know, let's just throw you into the wolves and see what happens. (laughs) Hey, it's Benjamin. In our post-pandemic world of hybrid work, heightened performance expectations, global unrest, and economic flux, there is a lot to manage. And most of us need all the help we can get. My company, Essential Industries, is a boutique coaching and consulting firm specializing in individual and organizational strategy, communications, and collaboration. If you, your team, or organization need help creating, innovating, communicating, or collaborating effectively, Facing uncertainty with competence or leading meaningful transformation, visit benjaminwagner.com or email me at benjaminbwagner at gmail.com right now. I'd love to help. Now back to the show. When do you remember a moment on a shoot when you just laughed the hardest? The colleague experience is probably where I laughed the hardest. The best party, as I'm sure you can agree, was the night of the VMAs. Once it was over, everybody just kind of let loose and we're like, thank God this week is behind us. And we just had like the best time. My favorite shoot of all time, bringing it full circle to the Backstreet Boys. We had the Backstreet Boys in for a Christmas segment. We wrote like a Christmas story and they like reenacted it with me. Then they had a mistletoe. They all gave me a kiss on the oh cheek. Boy. I have it. My mom made it for me. She like printed it out on a photo. It's it's an ornament now. It hangs on my tree every oh, single I love year. It. And that was probably one of my favorite shoots of all time. 
We did Halloween, like spooky stories with the wanted. I was one of the first people to be there with Taylor Swift when she first came in for the very first time. And she was lovely, hugged every single person in the room and just said how appreciative she was to be there. And is that like red era? No, this was like first album when she was just coming up. And I did interview her again with red and the same thing years later, still came in and hugged every single person in the room. That's when she still had banjos and stuff on the record. Still had banjos. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was there for the VMAs when Kanye crashed the stage. And I remember everybody thought it was a joke at first. Yeah. And we're like, wait, did that just really happen? Like, because it's the VMAs, like this stuff happens all the time. But I remember walking um, out of Radio City, like going up like a stairwell. And I remember seeing Dave talking to Kanye and Dave was like, I think it's time for you to leave. Like you you need to remove yourself from this building. And I'm like, I'm going to remove myself from this situation because I don't want to get involved. Yeah, at Radio City, my memory is, and I don't know how I was in the room. I was stationed on the marquee, which was a ridiculously cool gig. Yes. Like, I mean, it was not in the center of the action, but that was what made it interesting because I was standing on the marquee at Radio City for like three days, you know. But some reason I was inside and I watched it and I followed Dave out mm-hmm. also. I mean, it was probably 20 steps to the side door from where Kanye was sitting. It wasn't that far. And all the production was right out there because Radio City at the end of the day is pretty small. Yeah. That was probably for me personally, the most WTF moment of 18 years. 100%. You know, you were like, wait, what just happened? Mm -hmm. The only way you knew it was sideways is because the, there was like, I recall a, like almost like a hush, like a, you know, that quiet that happens in a big audience when everyone's like, wait, what? Yeah. No, and I kind of remember like almost like the same thing happened to the newsroom when Michael Jackson died. Yeah. I remember Dave coming in that day. It happened in the afternoon. And like he kept like being like, oh, wait, did he die? Did he not die? And then Dave came in and I remember him saying he was like, nobody can leave. You can't go home. Like this is like lockdown mode. Like we are in for it. And that night, I think what would we produce like two live shows that night? I think it was a PA at that time. It was, I was fairly new, but I just remember being in awe being like, I can't believe this team pulled this together. I mean, I think we walked out of there at like three o'clock in the morning, but that definitely was a moment that definitely stood out to me too, because it was just like one of, if not the biggest music story to happen while I was there. I was in Dave's office with Ryan and he turned to me and goes, get the ticker on air. I'm going down to the newsroom. And at this point we didn't know if it had, we, there was no confirm mm-hmm. and you know, like I'm digital guy. So he's like, well, what are your sources? Cause it's all digital at this point. And it was the only verifiable source was TMZ. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh. so like, I remember writing or calling the NOC or however we used to get a ticker up and being like, oh my gosh, I have to be the kid. I mean, I can remember watching thrillers premiere. And I was like, I have to be the guy who breaks this news and we're not sure it's news. And if I'm wrong, this is like, and it, you know, Ryan and I had just gotten our battlefield promotion. Like it was like, we were new kids on the block at the end of the hall with Dave, like, oh my God. And then, then I knew then, and then Dave marches down the hall and sort of begins dividing and conquering the work and marshalling the, the troops. It was one of the scariest lever pulling moments of my career yeah. where I had to like pull a lever that had a consequence. And at the moment that we pulled the lever, we were honestly just betting. You know what I mean? I didn't know any of that either, you know? So even hearing that, like the weight of that must have been like, oh my God, right? Like that's like a make or break it moment for you too. Well, during that time, I would say to my wife a lot, like, 
babe, I'm running like a national news yeah. team here. And I think she would kind of roll her eyes and I get that. And I think even when others outside of MTV news would think about it, you'd be like, oh, it's like pop culture news. Like what's the big deal? And first of all, I think that just takes it out of its historical context. And in 2006, seven, eight, there still weren't a lot of games in town right. in the way that there were by 2015. But also the legacy of the thing was such and the breadth of the thing, right? We talked to Obama, we talked to McCain, we tackled real issues. It wasn't just pop culture. No. Even if you were a pop culture expert, you were still talking to pop culture artists about broader cultural and social impact oriented things, right? Yeah. So like, I just think it's important to pause and talk stakes a little bit, um, which I hadn't, which we haven't done in this, com in the podcast, but like it was real and it was, yeah, it was scary because you wanted to get it right for heaven's sakes. And Dave didn't treat it like anything other than CNN. It was yes. like same level as the New York Times. We were, and and I, that's important to me. I mean, I, I know you did too. I mean, Horowitz, Sway, none of us were like, oh, if it's wrong, it's okay. It was, no. it was not okay. It was not news, okay. you not know? Okay. You had a lot of eyes watching and, you know, social media was just kind of getting started too. So you'd have people start yeah. to call you out on things. Right, I remember right, like right. opening up Twitter at the time and being like, why didn't you ask them this question? When is this going to be up? And like, then that's when you've had the fan engagement too. And that right. brought it to a whole new level. And we saw that like even with the live from MTVs, we did, you know, the total Ariana lives, things like yeah. that. It brought it to a whole different realm. <laughs> Do you remember a time when you had to kind of build rapport on camera? Maybe someone was a little icy and you had to warm them up and kind of use all your intellect and charm to get them to like give you what you needed? Yeah, it was Avril Lavigne. Huh. She was my toughest yeah. interview. We were fine, like off camera. We were chatty, chatty, chatty. And then once the camera went on, she kind of shut down. And I was like, oh, how do I save this? I just tried, you know, talking to her about things like other than music or like other like than relationships, just random things. And like by the end, she started finally warming up and we were able to get over that hump. I'm like, maybe because she just never met me before. And, you know, you you have to dive in and ask like these personal questions and things like that. And she could just kind of had a wall up. But I think like afterwards, when cameras came down, she's like, that was really great. And I'm like, thank yeah. you. I'm like, I'm so glad that you finally felt comfortable enough to open up to me and um, so I thought that was definitely, people always ask me like, what was your toughest interview? And yeah. for some reason that always sticks out in my mind, another yeah. really hard one. We did Justin Bieber live sure. of his movie premiere. Yeah, I don't really know how much I can really say about what really went down with that one, but he was very late and this was live streaming on our website. Yeah. And we had tons of people like tuning in. I, I think it was like, almost like a million people like tuning in and he showed up like an hour and a half late and he showed mm. up just not all there. Right, <laughs> um, right, right, right. And so it was extremely challenging because you know that so many people are watching. He's given me like one word answers. And Ugh. I know that his team was not very happy that he was acting the way that he was, but that was definitely a, a, a hard one as well. Oh, so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. But that's when I like would think about like Sway and be like, F it, you're doing it live. Like you have to do your best and yeah. ask the questions that you came prepared for. It's like, I can't control how somebody else is going to react uh, to it. I can't pull those answers out of his mouth. And I just kind of have to roll with it and, yeah. you know, do what I have to do. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of crazy moments. I remember one moment I was on a plane about to go back home 
from the VMAs. And I get a call from Ryan. He's like, you have to turn around and come back. I'm like, why? He's like, you have to co-host with Rita Ora, the House of Style recap, because our other host dropped out. Like it was a celebrity host. They dropped out. And he's like, you need to turn around and come back. I'm like, my bags are checked. I'm about to get on the plane. He's like, leave the bags. We'll figure it out. Uh Get back. And he's like, Here's the company credit card. Go to like some store on like Rodeo Drive, yeah. buy a couple of dresses and come over. And I'm like, okay, like sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really a fun moment. I still have those dresses and the shoes. Oh, I love that. To our previous point, I think people think of music and art as light and so forth. And often it is, but also people like write about hard things and sing about hard things and talk about hard things, right? So mm-hmm. I'm interested in any memories you have of conversations where you got real with somebody. I remember we did a live with Ariana Grande and we were talking about relationships and she just started crying. And I was like, Oh no, like this is not going. I'm like, I like, I felt bad because I was like, did I get too intrusive? Like, is she just, is she going to hate me right now? And I remember her afterwards And this was in front of like an audience too. Like people were like, oh no, like this is not going well. But um, I just remember afterwards, she's like, you know, I'm really sorry. This is like a a fresh breakup. So my emotions are really raw, but like, I appreciate you. It has nothing to do with you. But that was definitely a moment where I was like, oh, you try to save it as best as you can. But I remember like, that was definitely a tough moment. I remember Selena Gomez was going through a lot too. And um, we did a couple lives with her and I did a bunch of interviews with her. I went to Vancouver to be on tour with her. And I remember she got really comfortable and was able to talk about things a little bit more deeply. And um, we definitely formed a good relationship, but it's tough at certain you know moments. You never really know how people are going to respond to certain questions and things like that, but you just got to do your job. How was the experience of being in the newsroom or being on TRL different from how you imagined it? I mean, I think it was just like electric. I mean, mm. I you don't realize how talented the people are. Like when I'm growing up watching TRL, oh, it, it's just magically there. Like who knows what's really right. going on behind <laughs> the scenes, you know? Like, I don't know. But being in that TRL studio in that control room, like I remember one time I screwed up something so bad on TRL, like so, like, I was like crying in the in the control room because I think I like I don't remember the show, but it was like a news countdown or something like that. And I like that somehow like the numbers or something got messed up. And I remember, oh, my God, the director of TRL, she like yelled at me rightfully so because I screwed up her show and I just lost it. I like totally broke down. Yes, Liz. Oh, my God. She like sat me down afterwards and she's like, these things happen. I, I, you know, I'm sorry about how I reacted, but that was like, it, it still stings. Yeah. <laughs> like, and now like you always go back and like, I like check things meticulously, but you know, it's, it's an intense environment. It really yeah. is. It's like people, you have to make this show perfect every single time. Yeah. And you know, even like before I transitioned to host, I would be in the truck for the VMAs and that is crazy because you're like, all right, go here. We're going to pre-tape this interview. Oh no, this is like, I remember, I think it was like an Austin Mahomes performance and the audio didn't work or something like that. And they had to like redo the whole thing. Like things happen. It's live and it's a really intense environment. But like I said, the people there are like top notch. I mean, 
when I first started, I was in like the hip hop circle. So I would sit, I sat next to Joseph Patel, who is now an Oscar oh, winner. Legend. Um, Shaheem Reed and Ramon Duke. Legend. Like, legend. Legends in the yeah. hip hop community. So like, I would just be like listening to these conversations and just being like, these guys are like elite athletes yeah, yeah. and of their game. It really was. It was, I mean, I can't say enough good things about everybody that worked there. You prompt an insight for me when you say it magically appeared. It's difficult to imagine just how many people it took to do TRL or a full show Mm -hmm. that's scripted and it's got floor production and multiple cameras and you've lit up the control room or production truck. It's a lot of people. And secondarily, like it's impossible to imagine what those production trucks or control rooms feel like in terms of the speed with which and this sort of universe of available choose your own adventure, like going to camera A through F, you know what I mean? Or pre-tape Z through Q or whatever. It's a lot. And somehow guys like Dave and Ryan, gals like Liz, they could hold it all and just move on a dime. And I found that to be so impressive. And you, God bless you, would have to be there, you know, with a mic flag in your hand and a camera in your face and someone in your ear. ear. Yes, that was the hardest thing. And like, yeah, someone's in your ear because you have a floor producer there. Corey was my floor producer for all the VMAs. And they have like a little whiteboard being like, okay, toss to whoever the guest host was, or you have like one minute left or ask this. And then, but you have also somebody in your ear being like, okay, you have 10 more seconds or stretch, 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 (laughs) wrap it, wrap it, wrap it. And you're like, do I look at Corey? Do I listen to what's in my ear? What am I talking about with this person? And there's just so much going on at once that like you have to still be like laser focused on what that person is saying to you too. So you don't screw that up. It's a really, it's a high pressure situation, but the best adrenaline rush you could ever experience. (laughs) What was the best part of the job? The best part of the job besides the people and everything like that, it was just like meeting your idols. I experienced things that I never thought I would experience. I got to go places that I never thought I would go. Like I went to the Cannes Film Festival with Josh and like we took a a day trip to Monaco. I'm like, who am I to do this? (laughs) Like film sets in like Puerto Rico. And, you know, I, I went to the James Bond film set outside of London. Like I got to interview Daniel Craig and like Javier Bardem. I got to sit in like the Aston Martin of James Bond. Like these things don't happen to me. Like, you know, there were so many pinch me moments from that time. And it really was like, it was a dream come true. And the MTV news gave me the tools, the experiences that like, honestly will last a lifetime. Like I wouldn't trade anything for that. Dave is kind of our Lorne Michaels in a lot of ways. Can you remember an instance where you had a great moment with him? It was before, I think my very first VMAs. And he's, and he said to me, because like we were saying before, like I doubted myself, like why, why me? Like, why am I here? Like out of everybody that they could have picked across the country, everybody, why me? And so I remember it was before my very first VMA is like really on the carpet. And he's like, we have confidence in you. You wouldn't be doing this if we did not have the confidence in you and did not think that you would be able to do this. And like afterwards, he said, you did great. I'm so like, we're, we're proud of you. And like, just knowing that, like being like, we believe in you, you can do this. Those little words. I mean, yeah. it just, it makes such a difference. And like I said before, he was like everybody's champion. He wanted everybody to succeed and yeah. was just 
pure class. He really was. And Dave is MTV news to me. Like I will always think of Dave being that person and being that one that was always just everybody's biggest support system. He really was. And he was always there if you needed him. And he was just an all around great guy. What's the legacy of MTV news? What do you bring with you? What skills, what insights? I still write my own interviews, write my own. I host like five long form shows a week. I write them all. I write my own article. Like I think what MTV news taught me is that you have to wear many different hats. Mm. You have to learn it all. You have to learn all the trades. And that's what will make you a better person, a better producer, a better worker. And it taught me such a great work ethic too. And I think that I brought that into my new job. And that, and I always tell people, no matter if anybody's just getting started or if it's a new host that reaches out and like, what is that one piece of advice? And I always say, learn everything. Try to learn a little piece of everything and try to be a master in so many different things that you can bring that to the table. And that makes you invaluable. Yes, anybody can sit there and maybe read a prompter. Anybody can sit there and, and read off some questions that somebody hands you. But when you're really doing the work and you really get invested in who you're speaking with and really care about it on so many different levels from start to finish, then I may think it makes you an invaluable person. I left about eight years ago and it was definitely totally different from when I started. I think like once we left 1515, mm -hmm. it kind of like lost its spark a little bit. And, you know, we weren't doing as much as we used to. But still, like I think of like those early years and like what that really was and how we were kind of like the last wave of what MTV News really embodied. And it's just um, it was a special time. It really was. How do you think of MTV News' legacy broadly, not ours, but the institution? It was the voice of youth culture. We talked about things, not just music, but you were talking about politics. You were talking about LGBTQ rights when yeah. people weren't talking about it. You were deep diving into deeper conversations with artists that they weren't ready to have. I mean, we did like Demi Lovato's right. docu-series about her coming out of like rehab and things like that. And like, we really dove deep into these subjects. Yes, they could have sat down, you know, with a morning show and have a seven minute conversation. But no, we were, we spent the time to do like 30 minute documentaries on these people because we wanted to tell their stories and tell it the right way. And I think that's what so many fans appreciated. And that's why so many fans kept coming to us because we were their voice. We wanted to get the answers for them. It wasn't an agenda. We were doing it because we loved it. We were doing it because we loved the music. We loved this audience and we wanted to, you know, speak for them. You Hear It First, an unofficial and unfiltered history of MTV News is an Essential Industries podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your podcasts and visit benjaminwagner.com for more episodes and information on our creative coaching and consulting services. Until next time, it's a good feeling to know we're lifelong friends. Hold up. 